turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians 6, 21 through 24. This is our final sermon in this series in the book of Ephesians. This is number 30 for us. And what a study we have had. And the Apostle Paul now, has, who has been dictating this letter to a man named Tychicus, he now smiles at Tychicus and he takes the pen himself in hand. And he brings his closing benediction and his reflections. Listen now to the word of God from Ephesians 6, 21 through 24. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So far, the reading of the Word of God. From the time we were teenagers in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Scotty Durko and John Yenchko were like this. We were inseparable. Scott and I were in the same classes in school, lab partners in all kinds of mischief in the biology lab. We uh, traveled together. I was the first one to get my driver's license. And who was the first person that rode with me in the car? Scotty. And we had the kind of relationship that was so close that we could walk into each other's homes without even ringing the doorbell. We were welcome to come in. We were like this. We uh, sang in the choir together. He was on the basketball team, and I was on the swimming team, and we always went to each other's sporting events to cheer each other on. We would get up early on a Saturday morning, got into my father's old 1957 Willys Jeep. We drove it up into the Allegheny Mountains and found an old uh, deflated rubber raft, and we had a hand pump, and we carried it for miles down into the wilderness and then blew up the raft. We had about 15 sandwiches, bags of Fritos, several bottles of Gatorade, a 22 rifle. We were set for the day and floated down the river, and we solved the problems of the world. We figured out girls. We shot some tin cans. We had the best time together. But he went off to university in New York. I went to school in Virginia, and, and we kind of lost touch with each other, even though we never lost that mutual esteem and, and love and respect that we had together. I actually Googled his name, and turns out he's an optometrist on Long Island, just bought a big practice in Garden City. And I went, made an appointment, went down to uh, his office, marched in, and explained to the secretary that I was his parole officer. <laughs> and she... <laughs> She was a little troubled by this, but uh, eventually he came out, he saw me, Dr. Yenchko, Dr. Durko, so good to see you, and, and it was like old times again. 
But I relate this very personal account to you because although Scott and I had a friendship that was deep and profound, it was nothing like the relationship that Paul shared with his friend Tychicus. Because, you see, Paul and Tychicus were together in the Lord. My friend and I never shared that with each other. And apparently, as you sift through the brief mentions of this fellow Tychicus, you discover that he comes from Ephesus. He must have been converted under Paul's ministry and was probably there when the riot occurred against Paul. And he was stormed off, and Tychicus goes off with Paul, his new pastor and and mentor. And Tychicus was probably the one who carried the offering to the poor in Jerusalem on Paul's behalf. And when the Apostle Paul writes that I have been in danger from bandits and from my countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger at sea, in danger from false false brothers, and I have labored and toiled and gone often without sleep, knowing hunger and thirst, cold and nakedness. Paul was saying it for Tychicus as well. Behind the scenes was this, what he describes, this dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. And their relationship bonded them. And it wasn't glamorous, and it wasn't easy, and it wasn't pleasant, but they would not have traded it for anything because the two of them labored to build the church of Jesus Christ, and it filled them with such joy. And Paul can't wait to send Tychicus, the faithful one who will tell them everything. And let them know what God is doing on the move. Do you have a soul brother, a soul sister, several of them like Paul has with Tychicus? I love to watch Elias and Chundi and John Morkin together in their small group. You know, Elias was best man at John's wedding. Why was that? Because they pray together. They labor together. I love to watch Maggie Laska and Patricia Watsula together as they build the ministry of the food pantry, laboring that our ministry of mercy would be mobilized and organized. I love to peek in and see Linda Rosero and Christina Anchundia teaching Sunday school together, loving on our children that they would grow and be nurtured in Christ together, and I love to watch Brandon and Josiah. What a great example of, for us of soul brothers. Some of you know what I'm talking about, the, that, that connection of heart. Yeah, it's not glamorous. and In fact, it's, sometimes it's painful because they, they share their lives, they struggle They share their sins with each other. They confess. They pray for each other. They bear each other's burdens. And it's beautiful to behold. I was at one of our small groups a week and a half ago on a Thursday night. And during this time of the small group, 
these men and women opened up and shared their hearts with each other in a way that was absolutely remarkable. There was humility. There was brokenness. There was a relationship there of safety where you just knew that these people loved each other, that they were willing to bear each other's burdens and pray for each other and share their tears and collect their tears together as well as share their joys. It was marvelous to behold. You know, this does not happen in every church. It doesn't happen in many churches. And this is because in many churches, people are like trees that never put down roots. Maybe they get transplanted around, but the roots don't go down and interlock with each other. And this is because, tragically, sadly, you've heard me me say this before, in many ways, the church follows the culture rather than leads the culture. And in our culture, we are committed to individualism. We live in an individualistic society that life is about personal fulfillment, and the church should just be about my personal fulfillment. It's a kind of me-centered individualism. And my satisfaction, my rights, are more important than the group, in any sense of the group. And that's a dangerous thing. What does it look like when Christians put we before me? What does it look like when Christians put we before me? Now, some of you are scratching your heads right now. You're saying, what? That never occurred to me. A thought like that never occurred to me. But I'll tell you what it's like. It's like this model that we have here of Paul and Tychicus, laboring together, bearing with each other, sacrificing, giving of their time and their energies and their souls to each other for the greater glory of God. And for that to happen, we need to get out of our comfort zones. When I say comfort zones, I'm saying, oh, I have... I know the kind of people I associate with. I know what I like, and I'm uncomfortable in those situations. But you get out of your comfort zone, and you take the risk, and you step into another person's life in the body of Christ, and you say, I'm, I want to get to know you. I want us to be a we that's more important than just me. It is my great desire that our church family will be a church family of authentic community, pockets of life-on-life relationships where we put we before me. I love this example of Paul and Tychicus, and I just think it's, it, the Holy Spirit gives us, blows us a kiss right here, just letting us see a window into two lives that are gripped by the greater kingdom vision. Do you have that? If you don't, I invite you today to simply ask God for it. Just ask the Lord for it. Can you see that in your life? 
see that in the body of Christ? And then the old man takes the pen in hand and he writes these benedictions to the people at Ephesus, to the church there. And he wishes for them and so for us these I call them benediction. Benediction, that's the Latin word bene, means good. Diction means word. It's a good word that he just pronounces on the heads of the Ephesians. And what are they? Peace, love, faith, and grace. He says, let me end this letter blessing you with peace and with love and with faith and with grace. All that we've been talking about, these four words again and again woven woven throughout the letter. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And I don't know about you, I think these are just about the greatest blessings that you could wish for another person. A gift, not from Paul, actually. Where does he locate the gift? The gift comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is just offering this benediction to them. And so today, I want these to fall on your heads. I want these to penetrate your hearts. If I could wish for you blessing today, you know what blessing I will wish for you? I'm going to wish for you peace. I'm going to wish for you love. I'm going to wish for you faith. And I will wish for you grace peace to the brothers. And we camped out on this a lot. Back in chapter 6, we put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, remember? And there's peace with God, justification, forgiveness of sins. The wrath of God has been assuaged by Christ, has been turned away, diverted onto Himself, so that you are at peace with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. The peace with God. And then there's the peace of God, the shalom. And remember Jesus in that strange moment. He breathes on his disciples. He says, my peace I give you, the Holy Spirit. I wish for you that peace, the shalom of God, that sense of well-being because you belong to him. And then Paul writes about the peace in the church. And he says, Jesus himself is our peace as he tears down the dividing wall of hostility. It just might be that there are some people that it's hard for you to get along with. Not that there's anything wrong with your personality. You know, not that, that you might ever uh, cause any sort of dissonance or static in the relationship, but there might be someone else out there that, and there's static in the relationship. What can you do? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says Jesus Christ can bring you to peace with one another. And this is amazing. When you joined this church, you made five vows. And that fifth one, that fifth one, at the end of the fifth membership vow, we asked you, will you promise to promote the purity and the peace of the church? And this is so beautiful. Now, there's nothing worse than a church fight. There's nothing more ugly and embarrassing and dishonoring to God. But we, friends in the North Shore Community Church, God has given us a supernatural unity and harmony 
and blessing among ourselves these past seven years since I've been here that has just been wonderful. And I think it, in large measure, it is because he's given us peace that senses that we're just a worshiping community and we're a, a, a witnessing community and we're a nurturing community and who has time to argue about the color of the carpet when you're busy worshiping and evangelizing and discipling each other. Peace I give you, he says. And the next word is love, the second element there, peace to all the brothers and love. Now, this has been a big word in the book of Ephesians, and if you bother to count, you would see he used this word, the Greek word agape, 14 times. Back in chapter 1 and again in chapter 3, he talks about the immensity of God's love, that God's love is so immense that you cannot comprehend how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God in Christ Jesus. He says, and he wants you to know that love, to open your heart and to allow, allow the ocean of oceans. One hymn writer says that the love of God is like an ocean, which is a drop in the ocean. <laughs> the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, is only a drop in the ocean compared to God's love. And he wishes for you love and love for each other. I believe that love is the most powerful force in the universe. Love, so powerful. What does love do? If you love another person, if you love, if you are loved by a brother or sister in Christ, what can it do for you? Amy Grant wrote a song about, I don't know, 10 years ago when she made her transition to the popular uh, market. And she wrote a song, That's What Love Is For. Did you ever hear it? She sings it beautifully. And, and her words go like this. She says, that's what love is for, to help us through it. That's what love is for. Nothing else can do it. Melt our defenses. Bring us back to our senses. Give us strength to try once more. That's what love is for. She says, that's what love is for. Nothing else can do it. Round off the edges, edges. Talk us down from the ledges. Give us strength to try once more. That's what love is for. I appreciate that. Because maybe you know somebody who's out on the ledge right now and needs to be talked back in. You know what? All, your, all of your reasoning won't do it, but if they know you love them, maybe they'll come back in off the ledge. Maybe there's somebody whose edges are really rough. What will, what will get off the rough edges of your children or your wife or your husband? Oh, I know. Here's a good idea. Try nagging. Yeah, that, that will work really well, won't it? How about scolding? Try scolding them or shaming them. That'll, that'll shape them up, won't it? I think Amy Grant is right. Love, love is the power that gives us strength to try once more, that takes off the edges and talks people off the ledges. Romans 5, verse 5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 
John tells us we love because he first loved us. And now Paul prays for love to fill your heart as he says farewell. The third word is faith. And this word appears seven times in this little letter. And I ask you today, do you have faith? Do you have faith in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Faith is a gift. Paul taught us that back in chapter 2. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, and that is a gift from God. And if you have faith, would you thank God for that gift? What is faith? Faith is believing and trusting. It's belief and trust mixed together. And I, I look at this little, uh, this little um, stool here. It looks sturdy. I believe. Do I have faith in this stool that it can hold me? I believe that this stool can hold me, right? I believe. It's got four legs. It's made of strong wood. This, this, do I have faith that this stool can hold me? Not yet. Not yet, I don't. I can tell you. When will you know if I have faith? My quadriceps are starting to burn. <laughs> when will you know if I have faith that this stool can hold me? How about now? Now you know I believe. And I ask you, do you have faith that you will rest in Jesus Christ and in God the Father? It is more than just the intellectual assent. It is what the old writers called fiducia, that resting, that trusting, that faith that actually sits and rests in Christ. This is what he prays for for you. If you don't have that faith, it is a gift you should seek from the Lord. And you explore, and you allow us to explore with you the trustworthy promises of him who is faithful. And the Bible says when we are faithless, do you know what it says? He is still faithful. And maybe you're here today, and you say, my faith is like that little candle that is just about flickered out. But God is faithful. God is faithful. He wishes for you peace and love and faith. And then he wishes for grace. He blesses you with grace. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. The very first word in the book of Ephesians, when he begins to speak to them, is what? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he starts the letter, grace to you. And how does he close it? He says, oh, I wish for you grace. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Here's another definition. Grace is blessing given when demerit is deserved. That's an important definition, if you get it all. Grace is blessing given when demerit is deserved. Have you received that? I'm the first in line to say, any blessing I get from God 
is given in spite of my demerit, my sins, my failures. And oh, how I love him for his grace poured out on me, poured out on you. Do you need grace? Maybe there's somebody here who says, well, maybe some of these other sad people need grace, but not me. I read a story this week about a man who died, shows up at heaven's gate, and is met there by an angel who said, well, it's going to take a thousand points for you to get into heaven, so let's get started and review your life. And the man smiles, and he says, no problem. I've been going to church all my life, been in church every Sunday. And the angel said, oh, very good. That's three points. The man looks at him, and he says, well, I, uh, I, um, I, I was Sunday school superintendent for a year and a half until I quit, and, uh, and I tithed of my income, and, and, I, and I really tried hard to be a good neighbor. And the angel said, that's excellent. That's another ten points. And the man said, oh, no. The only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. And the angel said, that's right. That's right. Come on in. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is the way we gain our entrance into heaven. Look, you're probably a, a better person than I am. You're probably more holy. You're probably nicer, a better driver on the road than I am. You, you might be at the top of the mountain, and I'm only halfway, okay? And if you, if you perhaps on our close examination of our lives feel superior to me, I wouldn't be surprised. But we're both still 93 million miles away from the sun. The Lord Jesus Christ, we are told, now in his glory, has eyes like blazing fire. His voice is like the sound of rushing waters. All that power, all that glory. His hair is white like wool, his feet like burnished bronze gleaming in a furnace. His purity, his power, his authority is before us. And it says his face shines like the sun in all its brilliance. 10,000 bombs exploding every second. That is the glory, the purity, the power of Jesus Christ now. To whom will you compare yourself? To be superior to me is nothing. The way to heaven is by his grace. And so Paul prays for the church that you would know his grace. And as a result, he says, grace to all, and this is the third and final point of the book, he says, grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And so that's a good question for you and for me. Do you love the Lord Jesus with an undying love? And the word for undying, it really means incorruptible. It's like a, a body that does not decay in, in the dirt. You know, you, you, you put a body in the dirt and uh, it decays, it comes apart. But no, no, that will not happen to your love if you belong to Jesus Christ. And this is very important. 
This isn't. I, I'm, I can't let anybody in this room get away with, I know I'm a Christian because 15 years ago at a Billy Graham crusade, I, I put up my hand or I walked forward. That did not save you. Christ made you alive, and if you're alive in Christ, you are walking with Christ, and you will walk with Christ to the end of your day, is what we call the perseverance of the saints. And you must believe every day of your life, for the rest of your life, it's an undying love that will continue. Sure, sure we are on a roller coaster. Sure we are buffeted and tossed about on storms. But if you have experienced his peace, if you know his love, if he has given you the gift of faith, if you have tasted of grace and drunk from the wells of grace, then you will love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. Do you remember when one of the Pharisees came to Jesus, this expert in the law, and he came to Jesus to test him? says, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And so there we have it from the lips of Jesus himself. There's nothing more important than loving God. Some of us might be afraid of putting God first in our life. We might be afraid of moving him from being a spoke on the wheel to becoming the hub of the wheel. But that's what a Christian does. A Christian isn't just religious, doesn't just have a religious spoke. He brings Christ to the hub of the wheel, the center of the wheel. And then Jesus will redeem and renew and instruct and oversee and shepherd all the other spokes of the wheel. Are you afraid of putting him first? Don't be afraid. Yeah, you, you might need to demote some of your other loves, okay? You might have some other loves that have taken ascendancy over Jesus, but today you put him at the top. You put him first. You don't have to get rid of your other loves, but believe me, what you love most shapes your life. What you love most defines you. What do you love most? That's a good question for us today. What do you love most? And if something needs to be demoted today, hey, I've been fired in my life. I've been demoted in my life. It didn't kill me. What, um, what about you? Will you love Jesus Christ with an undying love. The old hymn, I probably should be closing with it, but we're not, but the old hymn says, See from his hands, his head, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? What's it talking about? It's talking about the love of Jesus for you. And how does that hymn end? Remember the last line of the last verse? It says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so I love him. My love is not perfect. 
but I love him. And I want it to be an undying love. What about you? Well, we finish the book of Ephesians. Lots to apply in our lives. Some of us enjoy coming to church, but we do not yet have soul brothers and sisters. And I'm inviting you today to ask God for some soul brothers, some soul sisters, life on life connection in the body of Christ. And you're going to you're going to just move out of individualism and into putting we ahead of me. And some of you, I, I'm going to pray that during this closing song, some of you are going to identify uh, a need in your life, whether it's peace or love or faith or grace. And you're going to go to Jesus and you're going to lift the lid on your heart and say, Jesus... This is what I need from you today. And you're going to believe, and he's going to give it to you. So, um, we're going to give ourselves to the Lord now, and um, we're going to bow our heads and pray, and I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward. I do believe we need to take and receive the morning collection and so those who are passing the plates, we, every week we do receive an offering. You can just receive those as the, uh, as the song goes on. But let's uh, bow our heads and pray, shall we? And then we will sing together.